Welcome to The Life Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us for another hope-filled message. We pray that you're encouraged by this powerful word from our Sunday service. I'm ready and raring to go with our new series called Jesus Is. Everyone say Jesus Is. Fantastic. Jesus is what I hear you say. That's a great question and we're going to get into that. But can I just say the premise of this particular series is to help us understand who He is. And so if you're a visitor here today for the very first time, uh, and maybe you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian or a believer or a religious person, I want you to know you are absolutely welcome and we are so glad that you are here today. Can we put our hands together, church? Thank you for coming. And we do not want to waste your time. And I trust that something I share today will be thought-provoking and move and stir your hearts toward Jesus. That's my prayer for you. For the many others who have been involved in church life, in particular Life Adelaide, for many weeks, months, uh, and possibly even years and decades, I I trust that our understanding of who Jesus is would, would grow and our appreciation of what He's done for us would grow. The tendency is, as I've seen in my life, the older you get, the more lukewarm our approach to Christianity and Jesus and church attendance tends to be. And I want to say with a, with a loving pastoral heart, brothers and sisters, that should not be. The longer we are here on planet Earth, I believe our love for Jesus should grow and grow and grow. And so my prayer for for those like myself who have been in Christ for many, many years would fall in love with Him again, just as I did this week in preparing this particular message. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of John, John chapter 14. John was one of the disciples of Jesus who had a very special bond with Jesus. There were 12 disciples. But John had an extra special relationship with Christ. I don't know if Jesus has favourites, but if he did, John was certainly up there. He was, had a very close bond. And this is uh, something that he wrote based upon an answer Jesus gave to the crowd one day. In John chapter 14, verse 6, it said this. Jesus answered, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And then he added this, that no one comes to the Father, that is Father God, but through me. And over the next three weeks, we want to highlight who Jesus is according to this passage. We want to highlight the way, the truth and the life. Hashtag WTL. What the life. No. So today we want to look at Jesus as the way. Everyone say, Jesus is the way. You know, the fact is, He's the way to a lot of things and a lot of areas in our life. He's the way to hope. He's the way to health. He's the way to healing. He's the way to wholeness. But I want to park all of those thoughts and I could preach all of those. And I want to delve into this one. And I want to focus on the fact that Jesus is the way to heaven. Yes, Jesus is the way to hope, health, healing and wholeness. But I want to drill down on this thought that Jesus is the way to heaven. And more importantly, He's the way to Father God. Because Christianity in its purest, simplest form is a relationship with God that can be had through Jesus. Are you with me today? And Jesus came to make a way for us to get to be at home with God the Father. The reason we aim for heaven is because that is God's home. 
And ultimately, it's your home and it's my home. We don't want to go to that place if God's not there. We want to go to heaven because that's God's home. And because Christianity is relation-based, Jesus made a way possible for us to spend home with God. Are you with me? It reminds me of a, a moment when BJ was much younger. BJ's our youngest daughter. And we were in the shopping mall and I, I was just shopping with her without mum. And lo and behold, as is often the case when dads take their children shopping, I lost her. Or she got lost. I, I'm not sure what happened. Either she was busy with her head down or I was, or maybe both of us were. But uh, the long and the short of it is, I heard over the loudspeaker, uh, if you have a daughter named Bailey Rainbow, and I thought, that's probably me. <laughs> and so I made the way to where the announcement was made. And uh, obviously she was in tears. She was upset. I gave her a hug. I gave her some comfort. And I took her home. Yeah. And I think that's what Jesus came to do. To find those that are lost and to bring us home. Our daughter was lost. She was found. I embraced her and I brought her home. Jesus is the way to us having a home with God the Father. Are you with me? And not only is He the way, Jesus Himself said He's the only way. Not only is He the way, but He's the only way. He said, no one comes to the Father except through me. And this statement shocked those that first heard it. It shocked them. Can you imagine those listening to Jesus? And it shocked them. It shocked them so much, they were so upset that they killed Him. One of the reasons that they killed Jesus was because of statements like this. Jesus is many things. He is friendly. He is kind. He is caring. But He's also very polarising with some of the statements that He made. And the people reacted badly and ultimately killed Him. And can I say that that's not too dissimilar today? When a Christian or any follower of religion makes a claim of exclusivity, it often is met with anger, with shock, with confusion, and lots and lots of questions. Are you with me? And, and maybe some of you in this place today have those questions. And I want to say you are very welcome. We welcome questions here at Life Adelaide. Are you with me today? And so we want to look at some of those questions and hopefully answer. And while there's probably many questions, I want to look at three questions I've probably been asked more than any other when it comes to the exclusive nature of Christianity. And so I hope this helps you find God. And I hope it helps you if you are in Christ today with a better way of answering. Because I realise we live in a world that tolerates everything and everyone. And we need answers today. So I hope and trust and pray that this helps you. And so three questions that I've probably been asked more than any other are these. Number one, do all roads lead to God? Do all roads lead to God? Aussies, what I've learned by and large, have embraced the notion that all roads lead to God. Which reminds me of a trip that I took along with my wife many years ago to the UK. And, and we were very jet-lagged. We were travelling with another couple of friends of ours. We were very jet-lagged and we got in the car and we were hoping to head to Manchester. And so in our bleary, tired state, we hired a car and we drove. And we drove. And we drove. 
And there was something in me that said, I don't know if we are going the right way. And so I asked someone with the map. Now, this is before Apple phones. This is before Google Maps. This is the days of paper maps. And so the person in the back with their big map was like, no, you know, if we keep going, I'm sure we'll get there. I don't know that that's good advice, let alone good theology. It's just, if we keep going, we'll get there. That sounds like a lot of people when it comes to their relationship with God. If we just keep doing what we want to do, we'll eventually work out. And so I, I didn't trust that. And so I stopped and to, uh, to ask someone for directions if we were at least heading the right way. And the first person I asked, they said, And that went on for about five minutes. I just, I nodded politely as if I understood everything they said, walked away and Cass said, what did they say? I said, I have no idea. <laughs> he knows where Manchester is, but I'm none the wiser. And so I plucked up the courage to ask someone else. And, and he gave me some great advice. He said, hello, Governor, how you doing? He said, uh, we want to go to Manchester and we want to know if we're heading in the right direction. He goes, nah, mate, you're heading south. You need to head north. Everyone knows that Manchester's in the north. What are you heading south for? So I said to him, you mean to tell me that all roads... I was being, I was being funny. I thought I was being funny. Obviously didn't read the moment. I said, oh, so you mean to tell me that not all roads lead to Manchester? He goes, you taking the mickey, mate. And I learned an invaluable lesson that day. There's a lot of roads in England. But they don't all lead to Manchester. And you know what we had to do? We had to turn around and go in the right direction. Because not all roads, surprise, surprise, lead to Manchester. Manchester's in the north, not in the south. Those who are well-versed in English accents would know I'm changing my English accent as we speak. But anyway. <laughs> but there are many religions in the world today. There's Hinduism, there's Buddhism, there's Confucianism, there's Shintoism, there's Judaism, there's Islam, there's agnosticism, there's atheism, there's secular humanism, there's Marxism, there's Jehovah's Witnesses, there's Mormons, and I could go on and on and on and on. No wonder people are confused when it comes to God and where Jesus fits into all this. But can I say that there are only two possible ways to maintain that all roads lead to God? There's only two. And the first one is to ignore the clear contradictions. In order to come to the conclusion that all roads lead to God, you've got to overlook the very clear contradictions. For example, Buddhism says that, and it denies, sorry, the existence of a personal God. And yet Christianity says that you can have a personal relationship with God through Jesus. Those two things are not saying the same thing. You can't have a personal relationship with God. Christianity says, yes, you can. Orthodox Judaism says, uh, that, and it denies, sorry, that life after death. Christianity affirms that there is life 
after death. Classic Islam has a valid ethic that endorses the killing of infidels. And yet Christian ethic of loving your enemies can't be equally valid. You can get a little bit vocal this morning. How can you be right and say all roads lead to God when Jesus Himself said, no man comes to the Father but through me? These contradictions are very clear and cannot just be ignored. And what I found is those who don't ignore them tend to trivialise them. In other words, we reduce the contradictions as insignificant and non-essentials. We water down the religious distinctives to accommodate religious peace and unity. In other words, the goal is peace. The trouble is the price for that peace has become truth. In order to have peace at that level, the cost is truth. And we're going to be looking at that next week. C.S. Lewis says this, Christianity is a statement which, if false, is of no importance. And if true, is of infinite importance. The one thing it cannot be is of moderate importance. If Christianity is not true, we are wasting our time and we should not be here this morning. We should be down the beach. We should be doing other things that we love to do. But if it is true, then it's of infinite importance. But one thing it's not is of moderate importance. Jesus arced up many times, but the thing that that got his uh, temper up more than anything was lukewarm attitudes towards Him and God the Father. Are you with me? If it's not true, then we're wasting our time. If it is true, it's of vital importance. The exclusive nature of Christianity rests on the uniqueness of Christ, which brings me to my second question that I often get asked, and that is, is this, what is so special about Jesus? What makes Him so special? Why is He so different? In actual fact, one of the questions that Jesus Himself was asked many times was this, who do you think you are? And that's a very good question. Who is Jesus and what makes Him so special? The fact that Jesus was born and walked on the earth is not in question. There's more to support the existence of Jesus than any other personality of His time. The question is, was who He said He was, who He said He was? And the reality is, there's only three possible conclusions. And that is, is He is either Lord, or He was a liar, or He was just a lunatic, a crazy man. And we have to look at those. And in order to find out which one he was, we need to look at his character. We need to look at his claims. And we need to look at his conquest over death or his resurrection. See, his claims were unlike other demigods. He claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed to be God. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That makes him more than just a good teacher. You know, I've been preaching for many, many years and and over the years, I've had many, many compliments. I've had, hey, Pastor Tony, that was an amazing message today. You did a fantastic job today. That was so good. And you can encourage me right now as I'm going. I mean, I've heard that and I appreciate it and it's encouraging. But for all of those compliments, 
None of them make me God. And nor have I ever stood up here or down there and said, I am God. Because you know that would make me a crazy person, a deceived person, a lunatic, or at best, a liar. But Jesus categorically said, I am God. And if He wasn't, He was a liar. And that doesn't make Him a good man, nor does it make Him a good teacher. So the notion that Jesus was lying, but He's a good teacher, doesn't make sense. His claims went above and beyond that of any other religious leader. Again, C.S. Lewis said, a man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said wouldn't be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who said he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was or is the Son of God or else a madman or something worse. But don't let's come up with this patronising nonsense about him being a great teacher. He hasn't left that open to us and nor did he intend to. His claims were different. But not only were his claims different, so too was his character. Jesus is a supreme example of a selfless life. Those that have ever studied the life of Christ, even non-believers would acknowledge that the character of Jesus was unlike the character of other human beings. Even non-Christians come to that notion. He was tempted and tested in every way as you and I were, but He never sinned. He never did any wrong. He hung upon the cross when they were mocking Him and He said, Father, forgive them. He said to his disciples, look after my mother. He was forever looking out for the needs of others. He lived the most selfless life imaginable. This is not the character of a deranged lunatic. This is not the character of a liar. Again, C.S. Lewis says this, it seems obvious he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend. And consequently, However strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that He was and is God. God has landed on this enemy-occupied world in human form. We're talking about Jesus being the way to the Father. What makes Jesus so special? His claims. His character and His conquest over death, His resurrection. You know, there's great evidence to support the resurrection. I don't have time to go into it in great detail, but we've shared it many times before, particularly around the Easter time. So you can go to any one of our Easter messages and, 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 and I'll go into this further. But there is great evidence to support the resurrection. Not only do we have the evidence of the empty tomb itself, But in the six weeks that he was on planet Earth after his resurrection, he was seen by over 550 people. He was seen by believer and unbeliever. The disciples witnessed the resurrected Lord and none of them believed that Jesus would be indeed raised. So even the believers were unbelievers, but Jesus appeared to all of them. 
He appeared to people on more than one occasion. On over 11 different occasions, the Bible records Jesus appearing to people. This was not a one-off hallucination by a group of desperate people that desperately wanted to see Jesus. Believers and unbelievers on over 11 different occasions, seen by over 550 people. The evidence is clearly in favour of the resurrection. His claims, his character and his conquest over death Contradict the notion that Jesus was either a liar or a lunatic. And so we are left to make a choice. Was he indeed who he said he was? And that is the Son of God. Is he indeed Lord? We have to decide for ourselves. And here at Life Adelaide, we are not here to twist your arm, but we are here to present the Word of God in its fullness to give us good food for thought. Yes. Amen. Yes. One more question. The third one is this. Why is God so narrow-minded? Why is God so narrow-minded? And that comes from Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, when it says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. Many enter through it. Can I just say when it comes to this narrow road, I think some religious people have made it narrower than Jesus ever intended it with their religious bigotry. But I do believe that it is a narrow path. There's a lot of options out there, but God wants us to take the right one. And does that indeed make him narrow-minded? Well, let me ask you parents, does it make you narrow-minded that you don't let your children touch a hot stove? Are you being narrow-minded or are you caring and protecting the very people that you love? Are you being narrow-minded speaking to the very people that you gave birth to and raised that have financed and given a, a bed to sleep on and, a, and a, hot, a roof over their head to say, I want you in bed by 7.30 because you're only five years old. Does that make a parent narrow-minded or is that a healthy boundary? Maybe what we've called narrow-mindedness isn't narrow-mindedness at all. Maybe it's God's boundaries caring for us. Loving us, protecting us, wanting the very best for us. Can I read something to you today? I don't often do this and it's, it's quite a, a big portion. And it's from a book called Reasons to Believe by R.C. Sproul and Lee Strobel. And it's a response to this question. Is God narrow-minded? See, I believe as Christians, we shouldn't be afraid of questions. We should be able to embrace the questions. And so let's look at it. So let's examine the accusation, the book says, from a hypothetical point of view. Let us suppose that there is a God who is altogether holy and righteous. Got that? Let's just, let's just suppose. Suppose that God freely creates mankind and gives to mankind the gift of life. Suppose he sets his creatures in an ideal setting and gives them the freedom to participate in all the glories 
in the created order with freedom. Suppose, however, that God imposes one small restriction upon them, warning them that if they violate that restriction, they will die. Would such a God have the right to impose such a restriction as to forfeit the gift of life if His authority was violated? Suppose that for just one cause, the ungrateful creatures disobeyed the restriction the moment God's back was turned. Suppose when He discovered their violation, instead of killing them, He redeemed them. Suppose the descendants of the first transgressors broadly and widely increased their disobedience and hostility toward their Creator to the point that the whole world became rebellious to God and each person in it did as they saw right in their own eyes. Suppose God continued to redeem these people and freely give special gifts to one nation of people in order that through them the whole world would be blessed. Suppose God delivered this people from poverty and enslavement to the ruthless Egyptian Pharaoh. Suppose this privileged nation, as soon as it was liberated, rose up in further rebellion against God and their liberator. Suppose they took His law and violated it consistently. Suppose that God, still intent upon redemption, sent specially endowed messengers or prophets to plead with His people to return to Him. Suppose the people killed the divine messengers and mocked their message. Suppose the people began to worship idols of stone and, every, and things fashioned by their own hands. Suppose these people invented religions that were contrary to the truth of the real God and worshipped creatures rather than the Creator. Suppose in an ultimate, act, an ultimate act of redemption, God Himself became incarnate in the person of His Son. Suppose His Son came into the world not to condemn the world, but to redeem the world. But suppose this Son of God were rejected, slandered, mocked, tortured and murdered. Yet suppose that God accepted the murder of His own Son as punishment for the sins of the very persons who murdered Him. Suppose this God offered to His Son's murderers total amnesty, complete forgiveness, transcendent peace that comes with the cleansing of all guilt, victory over death and eternal life of complete unity. Suppose God gave these people as a free gift, the promise of a future like that would be without pain, sickness, without death and without tears. Suppose God said to His people, there is only one thing that I demand. I demand that you honour my only begotten Son, that you worship and serve Him alone. Suppose God did all of that. Would you be willing to say to Him, God, that's not fair. You haven't done enough. If man has in fact committed cosmic treason against God, what reason could we possibly have that God should provide a way of redemption? In light 
of the universal rebellion against God, the issue, church, is not why is there only one way, but why is there a way at all? To which they said, I have no way of answering this question. I hope that stirs you this morning. Jesus came to planet Earth because He's madly and passionately in love with people. Despite the message of His Father being ignored, despite the messengers being killed, despite people making up false gods and doing their own thing and and doing what they saw fit, God in His love and mercy came anyway. Laid down His life. Rose again on the third day. Conquering death and hell once and for all. Paying a price for the death penalty that we were unable to pay. And all He asks is that you would come to Him. That you might experience peace, freedom, Joy and forgiveness. I don't know about you, church, but that sounds like a good deal to me. And if something has slipped into our heart that we think God is asking too much of us, if we think coming to church is just too much of an imposition, something's got in our heart. If we can no longer reach out and help people, if we can no longer serve people, something has slipped. And dare I say, that's why we need to come back to Him. That's the power of church, that we could come back and be reminded of what we often forget. As I was preparing this week, I just fell in love with Jesus more and more and more. And I pray as I've had this opportunity to share with you today, you'll fall in love with Him more and more and more. To those that are a little bit older, my generation and older, can I say we need you? And we don't need you just on the back row attending. We need you engaged. There's a young people who are looking at you and they need to know the decision they've made is one that is worthwhile. They need to know they're not wasting their time. They need to see some examples of longevity. And I believe I'm speaking to the right company of people today, whether you're in the room or online. This is a time not to retire, but to refire. If you're not dead, you're not done. We have an opportunity to share a message of love and hope to a lost and hurting world. There are lost people that need to find their way home. And we are the messengers. And you may not always be treated right, but remember there are messages that were stoned, killed and sawn in two. We might just get a few bad words said about us. But now's the time to reach out. Will you stand with me this morning? I want us to respond. Before we move off into the busyness of our day and our working week, can we just respond? If through this message you realise that your heart has shifted, 
If you've just settled for something less than ongoing appreciation for all that Jesus has done, no condemnation, but let's just come back to Him. You know, when I gave my life to Jesus, it was a matter of surrender. I surrendered my life to Him. But I gotta be honest with you, since that day of surrender, I have re-surrendered my life over and over and over and over again. Let's pray and then we're gonna worship together. Father, we just thank You for the greatest gift of all. We thank You for the gift of Jesus, the One who is the way to heaven, the way to God's home, the way to our Father in heaven. We thank You that Christianity is not rules and rituals. It's a relationship with You that can be freely had because of Your sacrifice. And I pray right now that eyes everywhere would be opened, hearts would be softened. Won't You come, Holy Spirit, and minister and speak powerfully to us today in Jesus' mighty Name. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We trust that you're encouraged by this powerful message. You always have a place to call home here at Life and we invite you to join us for our Sunday services at our Adelaide campus. If you'd like to know more about Life, then visit our website at lifeadelaide.org or download the Life Adelaide app and stay connected.